When my wife and I first got married, there was some really popular advice going around at the time. And, can you turn the mic down just a slight bit? Uh, there was really popular advice going around at the time. And the, the advice to young married couples like us was that marriage is not meant to make you happy, it's to make, meant to make you holy. And I, I mean, I think we've been married a few weeks at the time, and I'm kind of like, really? <laughs> kind of happy. Uh, and I, I was like, something about that strikes me wrong. Like, something about that, that marriage advice, that marriage is meant to make you holy, not happy. So I was like, I, I don't really disagree with the happy and holy part. What's the issue? What about I've just kind of been chewing on that for years now. Maybe that's advice that you've heard. But eventually I realized the issue that I have with that is that it says that marriage is actually about you getting what you want. Marriage is about you getting what you want. Do you want to be happy? No, God wants you to be holy. And so what you should get is you should get holiness. Marriage is about, implied in that is this idea that marriage is about you. And that's really not just a lesson for marriage. That's kind of a message that the world tells us, no matter what our relationship status is like. Whether if you're a child, there are relationships in your life. You have brothers, you have sisters, you have classmates in school. But what are those relationships for? If you're an adult and you're married, like what's your marriage? Maybe you're not married, but you have friends, maybe you're dating, like you have co-workers, you have parents. What are all these relationships for? Today I want to talk about that idea specifically. What, what, why does God put so many people around us? Is it really just to improve us and make us holier? Is it really so that we can use people to become happy? Or does God have something bigger in mind for our relationships, for our marriages, for our, our families, for our work life, for our government, for our world? Could God have something bigger in mind for our relationships than just us improving ourselves? What I want you to do, grab, go ahead and turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. And what I want to show you today, we're in the middle of a series. Actually, we're not in the middle. We're at the end of a series on the Trinity called The Eternal Dance. Where, where we're really asking, what difference does it make that God be three in one? What difference does it make for us to believe that God is three persons and one in essence? What does that mean? Why is this important? That's what we're in the middle of a, or at the end of the series talking about. And what I want to talk to you today is I want you to know that God is calling you to use your relationships to point to the triune God. God wants you to use your relationships to reflect His image into the world. What I want to do is I want to show you three ways that we point to the triune God, the three-in-one God in our relationships. Three ways we point to the triune God in relationships. First, use your relationships to bless and delight in others. I had to turn to Genesis chapter 1 with me. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27 says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, or let us make man in our image, in our likeness, so that he may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. So right here, we have the, the creation of 
man, the creation of humans, the creation of Adam and Eve, male and female, but he gives them a purpose right there from the beginning and says, let us make man in our image. And people often ask, what does that mean? Does that mean like we're thinking beings? Well, we have animals in the world that think. Is it, is it because we have emotions? Is it because we have will? What is this image of God thing that God has put in humans that he's not put in other places? And I think that's the wrong question. What is, what is the image of God? The right question is, what is the image of God for? Because image of God is the word that the Bible uses over and over and over for idols. Old translations would say, do, do not make for yourselves a graven image. Don't make for yourself a graven image, an idol of wood and stone and gold. Because it's embedded here in this, this verse. God says, let us make mankind in our image. He's giving them a purpose. And the, the implied thing is, as the Bible uses this word for idols, what it means is that dead gods that do not exist, that can't see or hear or do anything, get dead images that cannot see, think, eat, or hear. But a living God gets living, moving, breathing beings walking the earth and expressing his rule into the world. And so here, right at the beginning, the purpose of that God, for which God created humans is that they could reflect him into the world. The living God has living, breathing human beings walking around saying, this is God's world. Right there from the beginning, we see imaging God means we are pointing to him with our very being. So what are we imaging? What are we imaging? We've been in this series, The Eternal Dance on the Trinity, and what, I'm, what I believe is that if God is Trinity, then part of our imaging, part of our pointing to, must point to the fact that he is triune, that he is three in one. And the most clear, make, mo the very most clear and most powerful is in our relationships. John chapter 1, John chapter 16, and John chapter 17 point to what it means for, one of the basic parts of what it means for God to be triune, what it means for God to be three in one, is that the, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are each glorifying and enjoying and delighting in and blessing one another. That's why we call it a dance. That if the Father is glorifying the Son, and the Son is glorifying the Father, and the Spirit is glorifying the Son, then as they are enjoying and delighting and pointing to one another, then that must be part of the image that we reflect into the world. We must be telling the world, God's not just somebody sitting on the throne, He's actually dancing with delight in this great dance of delight of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so when we begin to live out that purpose that God has for us, as we begin to live out that purpose of imaging and pointing to Him in the world, then we are actually pointing to the kind of God that exists for and delights in and blesses. And we can't do that in any way except relationships. And so if we look at relationships as an occasion for us to say, let me get from you, then we're actually not pointing to a triune God who delights in blessing and in existing for and dancing around the others. John Frank comments on this. It says that one way, one way toward a oneness that reflects the Trinity is for us to glorify one another as do the persons of the Trinity. That means loving one another, serving one another, praising one another, and honoring one another. If we sought to really glorify one another, we would seek even across denominational and traditional lines to make one another look good, to enhance one another's reputations rather than to make ourselves look good at everyone else's expense. The world says, hey, we exist to try and get stuff from everybody else. But the Bible says, hey, you exist to point to the kind of God that delights in blessing, that delights in dancing around the other. And so use your relationships, use your relationships in the church to point to that kind of God. 
several years ago, I read an article uh, where a young woman was, I'm sure I was right, she was probably middle-aged at the time, but she was talking about growing up and how she, growing up, her dad worked all the time, six days a week, all day long, and hardly ever saw their dad. But then come Sunday, that was dad's day to throw the ball with them. That was the day that he would take them out for ice cream. That was the day that they got to spend with dad. And so she and her siblings, now as adults, like would reflect on how much they loved being with their dad. And how great those Sundays were. And he had died at that point, and her mom was indignant. And was like, why do you guys rejoice so much in what your dad did when I was the one that was at home washing the dishes? folding the laundry. I was the one that was cleaning up the messes and doing all of these things. And she said, I, I love my mom, but honestly, when I was with my dad, it was about delight. When I was with my mom, it was about She did all the things she was supposed to do. But my dad, in those little moments, he made lasting memories because he delighted in us. And so here in this, in this idea of the Trinity, that if God is a God that delights, then our call is to live the kind of lives that make people go, wow, those are people that delighted. That's a church that delighted. I think that's one of the reasons, one of the applications of this, is that hospitality has got to be a bedrock for God's church. We see it in the Bible. And the reason hospitality has to be a bedrock for the church is because we have the kind of God that dances with delight in inviting other people in. And the most clear way that we can do that is we become a hospitable people that say, hey, this isn't about me showing off my house or the things that I have. This is about me delighting in being with you and blessing you and serving you. And so the call in the Trinity is for us to point to the triune God by using our relationships to bless and to delight in others. The second way that we point to the triune God in our relationships is we pursue, pursue community because you were created by a relational God. Hebrews chapter 10 says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit. Let us not give up meeting as some are in the habit of doing. And you go, okay, is that because community is somehow going to grow me? It's going to bless me? No. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us, let us, the, the reason that Hebrews chapter 10 says that we should pursue community is because we're actually going into that to be a blessing, not to get from somebody else. That if the relational God, this triune God that delights in blessing and, and, and encouraging and, and existing for one another, if that's what he is like, then we should pursue community, not so we can get things from somebody else, but so that we can give things. So true community, in its heart, comes from a triune relational God. And so community focuses on the blessings that I give, not the blessings that I get. I often hear people talk about the latest survey, whether it's the Enneagram, or their love languages, or their disc profile, or the color that they have. And I can't keep them all straight. I don't know what animal I am. I don't know any of those things. People love those, those kinds of surveys. But I, I was recently at a I was at a meeting, and one of the guys said, man, some of you love these things so much. You love to be able to describe, this is what I'm like, so my boss needs to relate to me. My spouse needs to relate to me based on my profile. The leader over me needs to relate to me based on this stuff. And he said, no, the purpose of that is so that you can know how can I bless my boss. 
This is that you, you we don't need the, this Enneagram profile so that we can say my spouse needs to speak to the way that I like, or they need to know my love language so that they can bless me. It's instead we go, hey, how can I actually figure out how do I bless my spouse based on their profile, not mine? How do I, how does a boss go, hey, I'm going to learn the people under me because I'm going to be a blessing to them. And then the people under them, oh, I'm going to learn my boss so I can be a blessing to him. That's what real community looks like because that's what God is like. This triune God that delights in one another in blessing and in relating. Call to us is not to join small groups so that we grow. It's to join a small group so that we can be a blessing to the people in there. We don't decide to be a part of the mission of the church because I think I'm going to get more from the mission of the church. I want to join with the mission of the church because I want to be a blessing in the same way that God has been a blessing to me. I don't want to just hang out after church because I'm going to get a blessing. I want to hang out after church because I want to be a blessing because that's what the triune God is like. So pursue community because you were created by the relation of God. And the third way that we point to the triune God in our relationships is seek and value unity and diversity. Seek and value unity and diversity. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Go ahead and First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. It says, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many parts. The image that we have of the church is unity and diversity. The same thing that we've talked about is reflected in God himself. Unity and diversity. The call is to unity, not uniformity. Everybody needs to be like me, doing the things that I do, thinking the way that I think. Instead going, God, I want to use my gifts as a way that serves the whole. Not asking the whole to come along and serve my gifts. Unity, not uniformity. Everybody doesn't have to be the same in the church. That's reflected here in this image of the church. It's a body with lots of different parts. And so if you're an adult, and you know your gifts, the call is, can I use my gifts towards unity? If you're a child, knowing, hey, God has given me this time as a child to be a part of this church and to working for the things that everybody else are working for. It doesn't matter the age that I am. I can be a part of this. I can say this matters and be a part of it, but not just unity without being, uh, not uniformity, but also diversity. Bruce Square says it's diversity without discord. You go, hey, this is a church where some of us don't match. If we're if we're going to be a true church that reflects the, the diversity and unity we see in God, then we need to be the kind of church where people don't match, where there's different maturity levels, where there's different skin tones, where there's different gift levels. Where there's different backgrounds, different accents. The church should reflect the diversity that we see in the world. But we can have the kind of diversity that doesn't have this. We don't have to fight about it. But we can say, hey, you've got a different gift than I do. I'm so glad. I can't figure you out. I don't understand all of those details, but I'm glad you're a part of this church. And I'm not going to fight you about your difference. Or we can be the one place in the world that says different people can come together. And the reason is not just because it's going to be more effective. Because that's what's embedded in the triune God. So will we seek and value universe, uh, seek and value unity 
and diversity. Bruce Square says, we must all be seeking to follow the same leader and make our contributions to assist the whole. Can we all say, hey, where is the goal of God? What is it you've called us to do? Okay, I'm going to use my gifts. I'm going to use my little place. And I'm going to help us all head in that direction. And so then we begin looking at the God-ordained communities in our world. And if we have the eyes to see, we can begin to go, this is supposed to be a God-ordained Trinitarian This is a God-ordained community that's supposed to reflect the three-in-one God. And so then families begin to do that. Should we go, hey, family is supposed to reflect unity and diversity. So I don't have to have my wife on board with everything and doing everything exactly the way that I do, thinking every thought that I do. I can actually instead value her contributions and her gifts and her ways of doing things. I can actually say, hey, what is it that God is wanting to teach me about himself and my kids as they are a part of this world? They're not just on my train. We're actually a community reflecting the Trinity into the world. Then our church becomes a God-ordained Trinitarian community as we exist for one another, loving one another, blessing one another, delighting in one another, not seeking our own advantage, but the advantage of each other. But then what if your work became a Trinitarian community, reflecting God into that workplace? What if there was a person in your workplace that said, hey, I'm delighting in blessing you. I actually am delighting in you looking good. You see, sometimes we think that the Christian life is only about handing out tracts and witnessing to people. But what if we actually go into the workplace and say, hey, I actually can reflect a triune God in this place, in this office building, in this school, in this coffee shop that I do my work out of. I can actually reflect the character of God as I delight in and bless in my home as I'm a homemaker. Or as I have my hobbies, I can begin to see that this is a Trinitarian. But what gives us the power to do this? What gives us the power to use relationships, not for our own advantage, but to bless and delight another person? What is it that gives us the power to pursue community? What is it that gives us the, the ability to seek and value unity and diversity? You see, that we find the power to do this in the Son of God who lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died. We see in Colossians 1 that says he was the image of the invisible God. And God is using him to reconcile to himself all things. We see it in Romans 5 that says, But God demonstrates his long love towards us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so he was seeking our advantage, even while we were still sinners. Philippians 2 says that he did all of this so that the Father would be crowned with glory. And so we come to this, not as a standard that we cannot meet or we should somehow aspire to meet. Instead, we come to this and go, this is a standard that the Son of God has met on my behalf. And so now I'm walking with Him, and I can begin to use my relationships to point to the triune God in His strength, in His power, and in His right. You may go, Joe, how can I know for sure I have his power and his record. How can I know for sure I have his power and his record? The story of the Bible is that God made the world and he made it good. The story of the Bible is that three in one God spun out in joy, making the world. And then he invited male and female to be his images in the world. While each one of us said, No, I will not live your way. I will not delight in you. I will not bless you. I will not follow you. I'm going to set up my own kingdom, a rival kingdom. Where I use my relationships for my own advantage, where I do not value unity and diversity. And so the Bible says that God will one day crush his enemies. 
He will one day judge us forever. But instead of leaving us there, the Bible says that Jesus came and lived the life we should live, died the death we should die, so that all who repent of sin and trust in Christ are restored, are being restored to the image of Christ so that we can reflect the triune God back into the world and will one day join back in with that God fully in his people. And so what I want you to know is that the call of the Trinity is to use our relationships now to point to the triune God that we will one day enjoy forever. And so begin to imagine with me what that looks like. As, what if there was a family? What if there was a person in a family that was existing in to delight and to bless the other members of that family? What if the entire family became a unit and said, hey, this is not about me, this is about us delighting and blessing one another and inviting other people into that joy? What if there was a church that looked not like people that follow rules and do lots of good things, but a church that delights Delights in blessing one another, that delights in blessing our neighbors, that creates workspaces of delight and blessing and true community that reflect unity and diversity. Because that is going to be a taste now of the kingdom that we will one day enjoy forever. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your great love for us. I thank you that you have in, invited us to enjoy the love that you have always enjoyed. I thank you that you most clearly did that in Christ. As he came and lived the life we should live and died the death we should die. Now, Holy Spirit, you indwell us so that we can reflect your image to the world as living idols, living images that reflect your greatness and goodness and trinity into the world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to move now into a time of Lord's Supper. On the last Sunday of every month, we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And I want to read something just briefly to you. We prepare to do that. <clears throat> N.T. Wright says that when Jesus wanted to fully explain what his forthcoming death is all about, he didn't give his disciples a theory. He didn't even give them a set of scriptural texts. Instead, he gave them a meal. He gave us a meal. And so, in Luke chapter 22, Jesus said, when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until the time is fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink it again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. And so what we see here is that Jesus has given us a meal to celebrate as a picture of what it's like to take Jesus. And so if you have repented of sin and trusted in Christ only to save you, then we invite you to come as you're ready to play a song. Come and take the cup. Come and take the bread. You can take it off to the side, especially if you have kids that are going through this moment. You can take it there into your seat. But this is a moment for us to celebrate that he's given himself for us and promises to one day celebrate with us again. Let's pray. Father, we do take this in remembrance of you. We take this trusting in you only to save us and you only to come back and take this in you. In 
Jesus' name. Amen.